I'm Peter Doshi, an assistant editor for the BMJ based in Baltimore, and this is a podcast from the BMJ. Readers of the journal will recognize the name of my guest today, Dr. Thomas Marciniak. From within the FDA, Dr. Marciniak's analyses of clinical trial data have, on multiple occasions, pitted him against his then employer, the FDA. In the journal, the BMJ editor Deborah Cohen has written several stories quoting Dr. Marciniak, one of my favorites being the one entitled, FDA official, quote, clinical trial system is broken. But today we're here to talk about an analysis article Dr. Marciniak recently published in the BMJ entitled, Are Drug Regulators Really Too Slow? With me on the phone is, is Dr. Marciniak, lead author of that piece, who recently retired from the FDA after, I believe, a couple decades of service. Uh, welcome to the BMJ's podcast, Dr. Marciniak. Thank you. I want to first uh, start by giving our listeners who might not have yet had a chance to read your article a sense of what you and your co-author, uh, Victor Cerboni of Johns Hopkins, are arguing, sort of how you went about constructing that argument. And maybe if I can start, basically as I understand it, instead of looking at the time uh, after phase three trials is all time that's on the FDA's clock, you actually decided to parse it out a bit finer and divide that time, uh, the new drug application uh, NDA time, into three discrete aspects, drug company time, FDA scientist time, and FDA management time. I was wondering uh, what made you look at it this way? Well, I think it's because the total time uh, to drug approval includes not only what the FDA does, but also what the drug sponsor does. And I think um, the contribution was is that any previous publications or public discussions sort of have neglected the part of what the drug companies may or may not do in terms of accelerating or delaying drug approval. Right. That's and so. Part of what's going on here is this background argument, is it, out there in the world uh, that the FDA is too slow uh, because all this time is, is attributed to FDA and so if we don't like how long it's taking, well that means the FDA must be too slow and you're saying, well, it's not quite just like that. Is that about right? That, that's, uh, that's correct, but I'll also say it's not only the FDA, I think similar charges have been levied against the EMA and other drug regulatory agencies. Although right. we predominantly discuss the FDA, I think this applies to, to drug regulatory agencies in general. Right. And, base, and your broad findings are that drug companies took, take about eight months. And so what, what are those eight months? That's the time from when trials end to when they actually get their submissions into the FDA for analysis. Basically, what we what we looked at was the time when the final clinical pivotal trial was completed, when it's the last patient uh, finished. Uh, tip, typically, the you know, the last pivotal trial is what in fact determines when you can do your submission. In some cases, and these are all comparable large uh, cardiovascular trials, the drug company was able to get in the submission within four months. And we think that's fast, but we think that, in fact, that it can, you know, can be done and, and was done. On the other hand, there are, are submissions for which the delay was as much as 51 months. 
it's a it's a huge difference and all of the variability in terms of this final common pathway uh, leading to drug approval, all the variability seems to be on, on the side of what the drug companies do rather than what the FDA or the EMA does. So to summarize your, your, your results, you basically found drug companies take on average, median I think is eight months, FDA scientists eight months, and FDA management three months. So that's interesting that you looked not just at the FDA as a whole, but then also broke down the scientific uh, review process as distinct from the management process. What was your thinking there? Well, you, you would think that once the scientific review has been done, then you should rapidly proceed to a decision. And that doesn't turn out to be the case. So that, that was one factor. The other factor is, is if you look over historically at, at what's happened in the FDA, it's the decision side that actually frequently leads to the largest delays. Uh, the decision side. Uh, further, the decision side. Further, further advisory uh, committee meetings. Uh, in, so, yeah. actually, in, in what we looked at was basically the last five years of the submissions to the uh, Carney Renal Division and the FDA. Actually, in 2016, they did not have any new drugs approved, so you could say it was actually the last six years. Uh, I think in, in, during that time, in fact, the FDA probably uh, cleaned up its act somewhat and that the, the management delay times aren't that great. If you look at, for example, 10 years ago, you may find some, some submissions that were delayed by, by more time. The other, the other thing that to consider is the fact that even though management may take time to make a decision, it in fact actually may not be hurting the drug company. It may not be actually delaying approval because usually when there is, not surprisingly, when there is a delay in making decision, it's because there were some controversies that there were differences of opinion between the FDA science, the FDA management, or even between FDA scientists. The FDA management then uses that time to try to, to work out alternatives to try to better understand what the controversies are. Yeah, I think that was one of the most interesting aspects of your article for me, is that this finding of so-called delays in uh, this approval process actually often favor the drug companies. That seems to fly you know, directly against intuition, because one thinks, okay, patents are going to be expiring, so you need to get the drug on the market as fast as you can, so any delay is actually goes against the company. But you're saying that often these delays can... Um, save a drug that would otherwise fail. Can you say a little bit more about what that means? Oh no! Again, it's back to this: this, this, uh, whether there were controversies that could be resolved without, with additional data, with additional analyses, without actually requiring a entirely new clinical trial to be done. So sometimes the FDA will set, will 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 not say the drug's rejected, but say we simply want more data before we make a decision. Is that what you mean by requiring a new clinical trial? That, that's correct. There, the, that, in fact, is the whole intention of what the FDA calls their complete response letters. The response is, okay, we've identified these issues. Please address them. It's, it seems to me that that's 
that's pretty undesirable from a public health standpoint to essentially say that we don't have good information after years of waiting for it. No, I, I think you have to remember we're, we're talking about uh, you know very complex clinical trials, uh, not only the clinical trials but the whole aspects of the uh, the development program and the production of the drug. Uh, in in recent years, actually, some of the drugs have been delayed as approval has been delayed as much by issues, for example, on chemistry, on manufacturing, as they have on actually whether the clinical trials actually showed what, you know, that, that the drug had a, a favorable uh, uh, benefit, risk benefit. And, and for this uh, analysis that you did, you looked at one specific division, uh, the one that you formerly worked in, the cardiorenal division at FDA. So you looked at only the drugs in that division. Um, is there a reason why you chose to look to hone in on that division beyond your own personal experience? Besides my personal experience, though, the the uh, Manhattan Institute, a fairly well-respected conservative U.S. Uh, political institute, had actually published a paper several years ago, just looking at the FDA times, not looking at the drug company times. And they had concluded that, in fact, the FDA's cardiorenal division was the slowest performing division of all the FDA divisions. So we thought, okay, if, you know, know, is, is that, you know, what are all the facts regarding that? Is that, is that really true today? They, they did go back more than the five years that, that we did. So, so the Manhattan Institute seems to be a group firmly in the FDA is uh, too slow camp. But there are those that also say the FDA is too fast and is almost being reckless by getting drugs on the market too fast. You're aware of that side as well, I'm sure. And you know, there's this, there is this view out there that if you're getting criticized by uh, from both sides, then you must be doing it just about right. You know, you, you've been inside the, the, the FDA for decades. What's your view on that position? Oh, I, 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 I think the, and that was sort of one of the points of the paper. I don't think the time of what the FDA does, at least, you know, um, once the clinical trial is completed, is really an, uh, an issue. You know, you can, I, I think the, the amount of time, the eight months for a complete development program uh, for clinical trials, which in cardiovascular are frequently 15, 20,000 patients, you know, 2,000 pa- uh, page uh, clinical study reports, uh, an entire development program summarized in a, in a stack of documents that can exceed the height of the Empire State Building in, in one case. I, I don't think eight months is ex- excessive. I don't think this is the point. Timing really isn't the problem. Uh, in this paper, with the simple metrics, I think we can address that issue, whether the timing seems reasonable for that. What we, can ad- what we can't address is whether, in fact, uh, whether those drug approvals were right or wrong. Or in particular, I, I guess, were, were, I have my misgivings. It's not only when, when the FDA, the EMA makes a decision, it's not just a simple binary yes, no decision, this drug is approved. You also have to have an understanding of how that drug should be used, in what populations, what are, what are the caveats. Uh, 
you know, what is the exactly the the uh, complete range of the indication for, for which it's intended. And I think that's a lot more difficult, and that's actually where I might have some issues, for example, with, with some of these uh, drugs that were approved in the last five years. I really don't think there was probably any wrong decision in approving them. I probably still at this point in time have differences or disagreements about whether the labeling for the drugs is really what it should be. Mm -hmm. Now, I hear you saying on the one hand, uh, this debate over too fast or too slow is actually a little bit besides the point. But at the same time, isn't it true that this debate about the speed of the FDA's processes is driving discussions about what the standard should be for getting drugs on the market to begin with. And that does have some serious implications. That's not besides the point, that's actually quite on center, right, to the FDA's overarching mission. No, 100% correct. I, I think there is this focus on, on speed of approval. I think the, the focus should be on getting drugs out to the, to the public that actually uh, uh, work and work well and one understands how to use them. There was a, a poll I remember out last year done by Harvard University with uh, the media outlet STAT that uh, asked Americans about their beliefs of changing government standards to speed drugs to market. They found that a slight majority of Americans, 58%, um, were against, opposed, um, making the process, changing government standards to make the process faster. 38% were in favor of changing those standards. Do those numbers surprise you? Uh, no, I, I think the, the um, issue is, is the general issue we have in the U.S. with our, our government today, that the, the loudest voices are the ones that have the most money supporting them. And that does tend to be the, the drug companies on issues regarding drugs. And, and I really, I, I wish there were some way to get out the message to the general public, because I think they might be appalled at some of the things that are, are, are going on. I think they just don't know. What kinds of things are you thinking about? Uh, basically, whether, whether in fact, for example, the, the, within the FDA labeling really reflects optimally what would actually happen in the clinical trials, whether the benefits are really as great as what, what they're purported to be. Now, that's, that's an amazing statement. I mean, you're saying even the labeling itself may not be accurately presenting the clinical trial data? Uh, there are always differences of opinion on how to present complex clinical data, yes. What about your, your general impression about the uh, peer-reviewed literature uh, reporting on the results of clinical trials? I note that you have done, this isn't the first analysis you've um, done uh, since you left the FDA. What do you think about the peer-reviewed literature? Well, the, you know, I think there's, there's a good comparison. This is what, what probably, once again, maybe the general public and, and even a lot of physicians, certainly before I came to the FDA, uh, I didn't understand what the FDA did in terms of reviewing drug applications. I mean, we just talked about uh, the average scientific review time is eight months. What's the average scientific review time for a publication by the reviewer? We usually, yeah, you'd be lucky to get eight hours, yeah. right? 
right? One's given weeks, but the actual time spent, right? It's a different question, well, I mean, isn't there's it? A, there's, a, there's a huge difference. So I, 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 I think that actually the the FDA, and this is something also that that the average physician doesn't appreciate. The 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 FDA reviews uh, tend to have a lot more detail on the trials than what we, than certainly what we, you will see in the early publications, and probably what you see in fact in, in the, the all publications through uh, whenever the trial no longer becomes you know newsworthy or or you know right. is replaced by a newer treatment. This is a bit outside your, the the direct analysis you did for for us uh, last week, but how, what do we do about this problem? Uh, I I I think, and I I will be trying to get some of that information out through whatever mechanism I can. Uh, I thank you that this call, in fact, things like it is actually this webcast is actually uh, one of the ways to try to do it. And it isn't necessarily all negative. For example, of, of the um, uh, those drugs approved in the last five years, uh, one of them I thought actually should have a better claim, a mortality claim, than it was than it was given in the labeling. It isn't necessarily all against what what may be in the best interests of the drug companies. I think right. there the the drug company may have rejected getting a mortality claim because it was for a more restricted population. And they wanted a wider, you know, I think drug companies are frequently driven by what they think the marketers want to market the drug. And they, I believe they probably wanted to market to a wider population. Uh, I think I would have liked that market marketing claim of a mortality claim better. Right. That's all, that's the, all contained in, in the reviews. But it, I have not seen, for example, the arguments presented in that set of reviews ever come to the light of day in any cardiology journal? There, There is the sense uh, by, by some that, you know, we have to think about the life cycle of drugs, and so it's, it's really not just about this approval process. It's about making sure we keep track of what the effects of the drug once they are used by a larger population in, in the real world. And one rapid responder to your article uh, wrote that fast approval could be acceptable if it was associated with fast withdrawal. What do you think about that concept? Well, I, I think there's a fundamental problem is that once a drug hits hits the market with a favorable labeling, uh, there really isn't much motivation to do any of the studies to show, in fact, that it's not as good <laughs> as it might be you know, claimed in, in the labeling. Uh, you're, so you're you're fairly you're fairly limited. Uh, it's hard to get the information once the uh, drug has been approved. Uh, I think this, for example, is probably the, the whole crux of the arguments, uh, the, uh, the crux of the debate re regarding the um, drug that created a lot of controversy for Duchenne's mus muscular dystrophy. You know, I think the internal scientists said we don't have enough information. We really do need that additional trial. Uh, yes. The FDA management decided, no, these patients have nothing. Let's get it to market. I I strongly suspect you won't. You'll never see that the the, the trials needed. In fact, you won't for a number of years to really establish whether that drug really is a benefit in muscular dystrophy patients. 
Right. So I think it all comes down and where you, you come down, you know, whether you believe you can get the information post-marketing. Uh, somebody has to, it's very difficult, particularly for questions of efficacy. If you have a drug, the only, the only withdrawals have been for drugs, in fact, that have uh, shown some exceptional post-marketing safety problem. Those you can occasionally pick up. If it's if right. it's dramatic, but you won't even see the less dramatic ones. So, I, I I really think your your best chance of getting the information you need to understand how a drug works is prior to its initial approval. Well, I think we have to thank you for your work in uh, highlighting common popular misunderstandings about the science and the politics of drug approval. You know, now that you're out of FDA, I am curious, do you have any more hard-hitting analyses planned? Uh, I, I said I certainly, I certainly do in terms of actually some of those uh, drugs that are covered in, in this particular webcast, this particular article. I think there's some very interesting things, uh, and, and many are not they're, not, they're not negative. They're just trying to understand how to use the drugs better that have not been, been published in the general medical literature and not promoted in the drug company literature. So, yes. Excellent. I very much look forward to that. I think we're going to have to leave it there. Um, Dr. Mersiniak, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. You can read Dr. Mersiniak's article on our website, and as always, We'd like to know what you think. Have your voice heard and send us a rapid response. We republish the best as formal letters to the editor. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then like it and share it. All of our podcasts, the full archive, is available on SoundCloud or by subscribing to iTunes. I'm Peter Doshi from BMJ. Thanks for listening.